be refreshed by his spirit, waking us up to a new day of mercies and grace that is brand new. Even though we had it yesterday, but today on this new day, it's brand new. So this is the day that the Lord has given us. So we ought to be rejoiced and be glad. No matter what happens on this day, we can't change what happened yesterday. Whether we were good or whether we were bad. We just ask God for his mercy for allowing us again that we might be able to look into ourselves, see the things that we know that we need to correct and do those things on this side of life. We pray to God that he will bless Brother Anthony this week as he embarks on a gospel meeting and we pray for him that there may be success and also safety uh, driving back and forth from Parish, Alabama each night. But the gospel is a tool that God has put in the hands of man or we might say earth and vessels to bring the truth to other men. Because the Bible says that though we or an angel from heaven come down and preach another gospel which we have not preached, let him be cursed or let him be damned. So we know then that this gospel that we have, God has placed it in the hands of human beings to teach other human beings what God would want us to do. So then therefore we must pray to God always that the man or the that is given us instructions. We pray to God that he's telling those things that God would have us to hear. So how do you, how would I know that what he's telling me is based upon God's truth? So then I have to study to make myself approved unto God. Because the Bible says, you know, the workman will not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So then I have a responsibility because a man taught me the word of God and I'm sure man taught you as well the word of God because I know that no angels fly down from the heavens and give us this gospel message. God put it in the hands of earth 
and vessels. So then it behooves me to study, to know with anyone that comes before you, teaching you from the word of God, then you have to know something about God's word yourself. Somebody in the congregation, some mighty men in the congregation can say, hey, wait, wait a minute. Is this what you really mean? It is important that we do that. Because not doing what God wants us to do, it can have some very, very bad consequences. So then when we obey God, then you know, we can't do nothing else to more than what God have asked us to do. But when we disobey God, then you know whatever God said going to happen, it will happen. It will come to pass. So then therefore then to, be, to have a right relationship with God, then that means all the time that I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. And if I don't do what God wants me to do, then woe be unto me. Because whatever God said is going to come to pass. But see, a lot of people don't believe that. God told the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt into the land, God told them in Deuteronomy chapter 28, look, if you don't do what I tell you to do, these are my words, but I'm just sort of phrasing it the way how I speak, but how I read it, it's the same inference. It's saying the same thing. Hey, look, if you don't do what I ask you to do, it's going to come a time that I'll bring the phantom in the land and you will be so hungry that you will eat your children. And you know what? Phantom came in the land and we find them eating their children. God said that. God said that you're going to be accountable because you won't do what I say do. We find in, 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 in Second uh, Kings chapter 6, this woman came to uh, the king and said, look, I need help. And the, woman, and the king said, you know, in so many words, only God can help. And that's true, only God can help. But around by verse number seven, what the king said, then, what's the problem? Well, this lady came to, to me and told me that if we boil my son today and eat him, then we're going to boil yours tomorrow and eat him. So the lady said, okay. So they boiled her son and they ate him. And the next day the lady said, well, where's your son? He's hidden. So she goes to the king and tells the king this sad story. And when she told the king that sad story, then the king's eyes was opened up and said, look, don't do nothing to Elijah because Elijah is the word of the man of God. It's the same thing today. If we don't obey Christ, then who else is there to obey? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 5, the Bible tells us that we know that it's talking about Jesus 
Because the Bible says in verse 5, so Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but it was he who said, as also said in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then the Bible, then the Hebrew writer goes on to explain about the, 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 the human side, the human side of Jesus Christ. The Bible said in the days of his flesh, when, when Jesus was walking the earth, going about, doing good, doing the course of walking and the course of life that was predetermined before he even came to earth, God knew, God foreknew that Jesus Christ was going to come into the world as a human being. He's going to suffer as a human being. He's going to feel as a human being. He's going to be hurt as a human being. He's going to be betrayed as a human being. He's going to suffer as a human being. He's going to feel pain. As a human being, he's going to feel agony as a human being because he was human and he also was divine. He had a human nature and he also had a totally 100% spiritual nature. That's why the Bible said that he did not sin. Okay, but look what he further says. He says that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement crying and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So what are you saying? God in heaven recognized Jesus' prayer. Praying in the garden of Gethsemane. We learn that the garden of Gethsemane means press. That's where they pressed, that's where they, the others was pressed to receive the all. So then Gethsemane then symbolically is a place of pressure. Because they are pressuring these olives to retrieve the all. Christ in the garden of Gethsemane was pressed. He was pressed because the Bible tells us that he cried for him but led with tears. Father, Father, if it be some kind of way to get me out of this human condition, do it. The Father heard every word because the writer tells us he was heard because 
of his godly respect or fear. So whatever Jesus cried out in the garden, the Father heard every word. He was with him in the garden. But see, through that suffering, they tell us that he was, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered and being made perfect or perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. So then the, the, the obeying Christ is what bring about change in our lives. It's obeying Christ that brings salvation into our individual lives. It's obeying Christ that we learn how to overcome suffering and temptation. It is through Christ because Christ, Jesus Christ, he is the model of our salvation. He is the originator of our salvation. Is that not what Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2 said? It tells us that he endured. He endured. He endured the cross. He endured the suffering. But now he is sitting on the right hand of God. And he's sitting there pleading and interceding for you and me. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for though we have an high priest that cannot be, uh, uh, that, you know, he know what we feel. He know our infirmities. He know our trials. He know what touches our heart. He know what it means to hurt physically. He know what it means to hurt physically, spiritually, emotionally. Jesus know about hurt. So when we come to God, to come to Christ as our high priest, then we know that he's there to bring comfort and to bring aid to those who suffer that call upon his name. You know, Jesus paid the price that we wouldn't have to pay the price. Jesus was pierced. He was pierced. And the Bible said everybody that, you know, those that, you know, well, let me say it like this. The Bible tells us in First I mean, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye up gazing in the heavens? The same Jesus that went up to you in the heaven is coming again in like manner as you see him go into heaven. That was the promise that the angels told the disciples when they were looking up into heaven and they seeing Jesus born in the cloud to go up into heavens. But the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 7, Behold, he come with clouds. And every eye shall see him, 
even those that pierced him, even so. Amen. So what are we saying? We saying that Jesus was pierced for our benefit. Jesus was pierced because of our sins. Jesus was pierced because of the sins of the whole world. This is why Jesus was pierced. And all those stubborn and those people who do not believe, those people that cast doubt on Christ, those people that cast doubt if they are the God or not, even though God died for them, when Jesus comes back, they're going to see him as he is. So it's best to obey Jesus now. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. The day that you hear his voice. Don't harden your heart. Because see, Jesus was pierced for you and for me. And he is coming back again for you and me. And all those that pierced him will see him. Everyone had a uh, everyone had a part in the killing of Jesus Christ. Everyone had a part in that. Everyone, whether you said, well, I wasn't there, I wasn't born there, so don't come around to me about nothing about that because I wasn't there. But see, it don't work like that. It works like this. Man have a problem. Since the Garden of Eden, man had a problem. Man had a sin problem. And God fixed the way is that, okay, I'm, okay, since you were broke down in the Garden of Eden, then I'm going to stand you up before Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand you up in my kingdom. I'm going to stand you up because you have been broken down. That's what sin does. It breaks men down. It breaks them down to the point that you don't know whether you're up or down, that you're going right or left. You don't know where you are, what you're doing, how you got there. You just wake up one morning and know, wow, I'm overwhelmed. And it's Jesus that facts that fix the way, that bridges the gap, that give us the opportunity that we have a right relationship with God. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, and 9, the, the Bible tells us that in that particular verse, you know, that even before we were, when we didn't even know anything about God, when we didn't know anything about God, when we didn't know anything about Christ, Christ died for the ungodly. So if Christ died for the ungodly, I know he died for me because I was part of the ungodly. You was part of the ungodly. Now, the Bible said, not being justified by his blood, justified by his blood, we have the assurance that our sin has been forgiven. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. I'm sorry. Let's go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. In John chapter, in, in Luke chapter 22, we start reading about verse number 39. And we see from that point, we see that 
coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives. As he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. Right. Now, okay, let's set this up. There were 11 in this event. Judas going off doing his own thing, you know, with the 30 pieces of silver. So we know he's not there. We know from other passages of scripture in the New Testament that Jesus left the nine at the entrance of the gate and brought his inner circle into the place of prayer. That's Peter, James, and John. The scripture said they were but a stone throw. That means they could hear every word that Jesus saying. They could hear Jesus praying because I'm, I'm sure Christ was not praying a silent prayer. The Hebrew writer tells us that he was praying vehemently. That means you praying so hard that you're giving everything that you got. It's like a strong wind that's beating against your house. That is vehemently. Christ was praying like that with strong tears. And where were the two, and, and where was Peter, James, and John? Sleep. Christ told them to pray that you do not enter into temptation. Well, what was the temptation? Well, they call this temptation, okay, uh, 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 coming up to the passion of Christ. Well, the reason he wanted them to pray not to enter into temptation, because the temptation of deserting Christ, it Hey, 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 it's full bloom right now because the persecution is come. The temptation of denying Christ because the hour is about to come. The temptation of running away from Christ because the hour is about to come. The temptation of closing your eyes to all the good works that you have seen Christ do over the period of the three and a half years that he was on earth. I don't know the man. Who is he? I don't know him. Christ told them to pray that they enter not into temptation. Christ always prayed that the disciples, that the prayers were not for his will. But it was for their will. You remember in John chapter 11 at the, at the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus prayed? You know, Father, I'm doing this for them. For they might believe. So prayer is one of those things, one of those situations that give us the opportunity to commune with God. But it also gives us the opportunity to share with God those things sometimes that we cannot share with other folks. That's, right. That's what prayer does. But in this particular case, this prayer here, it was for the taking away of the cup that was to be set before him. So the Bible tells us again, 
He said, you know, after he prayed, he prayed, Father, 41, he said, withdraw, and he draweth from thee uh, about a stone throw away. And he kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and began, and he being in what? Agony. Agony for you and me. Agony for the sins of the world. Agony for all those who have blasphemed against God. In agony that those that believed will be saved. This is the sincere agony. Father, I don't want to do it. But if I have to do it, if you allow it to go through, then thy will be done. And so we see then from that point, being in that agony, he prayed more earnestly. And I'm sure this was, a, this was not a silent prayer. This was prayer that could be heard throughout the garden where those men that were asleep that should have been praying, they should have been paying attention. But they were asleep. And then Jesus said unto them, then he said, and then he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like blood, falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and had done to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. But you know, as I try to finish this up in the next couple of minutes, you know, I seen a wrestling match. Not, 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 not a wrestling match. Uh, 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 and one of those anaerobic exercises where you can pick up everything that you can pick up, and then. You get it above you, you know, you be talking about 1,500 pounds, 1,500 pounds of dead weight. You know, they got all this uh, stuff around their torso and their knees and everything, so, you know, to keep the muscles intact. And then they try to pick up all this massive weight, maybe 1,500, 1,500 pounds. And sometimes they just go down and they come up to the knees and then they get it above the knees, then they come up to the chest, and then they drop it. Then they drop it because they maxed out. They cannot do that no more again that day because that is an anaerobic. All your strength, all your power, all your might had been in that one lift. Then there was another man. It was his turn. 1,400 pounds. He come up with it. He come up with it to his knees. And he tried to come up a little bit further, a little bit further, but he was trembling. He was weak in his knees, and he dropped the barbell. But you know what? His brow was full of sweat and blood. His brow was full of sweat and blood. The Bible says that Jesus prayed in so much agony that his sweat became as great drops of blood. 
So now we can see the tension that Jesus was under before he went to his demise. We see the tension that he was under. But I'm so thank God for him to do what he had to do. Christ had to be pierced. He had to be pierced. And John tells us in John 19, I think it's 36, when Jesus had already been executed. Now we're talking about from 9 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus in agony before he gave up the ghost. And then when he came to Jesus and found out that Jesus was already dead, then one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith came out blood and water. That is the fountain that was opened up for you and me. That fountain right there is a never-ending source of forgiveness. It's a never-ending source of mercy. It's a never-ending, you know, never-ending source of cleansing power. Because the Bible tells us that. John 1, 7, for though we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sins. When John saw Jesus coming, in John chapter 1, verse number 27 to 28, somewhere in there, well, the first day he was, com he was combating with those leaders, they want to know when he's to Christ. On the next day, John saw the Christ because he said, Look, behold, there's a Lamb of God that take away the sin of the world. So when Jesus was pierced on Calvary, that fountain that was opened up, that's why we are spiritually free. We sing that song. There's a fountain free. And there is a fountain free. For all those who will accept what the Lord have done on Calvary for you and me. You know, they tell us that, that when, they, when they crucified the Lord, the Bible tells us that, you know, uh, when they killed the Passover lamb, that Paschal lamb, that lamb without spot, that lamb without blemish, you know, they took that lamb outside the city, you know, you you couldn't kill it inside the city. You had to take it outside the city, right? You had to take it outside the city, outside the gates of the city. So what you think they did, well, you know, when Christ was crucified, now here this good. When Christ was crucified, they took Christ outside the city. And when they killed that Paschal lamb, the hour they killed that lamb is the same hour that the Lamb of God was being killed for the sins of the world. Can't we see that? God is good. God is good. He has given us this lively hope. So let us take advantage of this lively hope. While together we come and sing this song of invitation.